Welcome to the Tourism Entrepreneur Podcast. I am your host, Vanessa Benun, and today we will conclude our series on sustainability. People, brands, destination, it seems like everybody talks about it, but what is it really about? To make sure we get the right answers this morning, we are joined by one of the leading figures of sustainable tourism in Africa. She has over 20 years experience working with the tourism sector with a focus on community-based tourism and community conservation. She was awarded the Sustainable Citizen Award by Forbes Women Africa, and she is the founder of the Sustainable Travel and Tourism Agenda. Judy Kefagona is on the Tourism Entrepreneur Podcast, so stay tuned and don't forget to subscribe and visit tourismentrepreneur.com. Hi, Judy, and welcome to the Tourism Entrepreneur Podcast. Thank you, Vanessa, for having me and for those very <laughs> kind words of introduction. Oh, Judy, the pleasure is mine. Thanks for making time for us. I met you for the first time in Cape Town in 2018 when we were both part of Airbnb African Innovators First Cohort. I remember how eloquent you were. You educated me on the importance of unlearning and relearning what I have um, been taught about tourism. So to me, you are um, without any doubt the reference when it comes to sustainable tourism in Africa. How does your story start and when did you decide to make sustainability your agenda? <laughs> Thank you, Vanessa. Um, it is a long story. We would have more than a day to talk about it, where, <laughs> where the whole journey started, but I could make it short by saying uh, my first uh, awareness on how tourism works and how it relates to communities and the environment came when I worked for the uh, National Wildlife uh, Authority. I joined the tourism department of the National Wildlife Authority. I did not last long in that um, organization and position. But thank God that uh, it was a turning point. Uh, I believe in our careers, we always get to a point where we have a turning point. While working at these um, agencies, I came uh, face to face with uh, communities protesting human-wildlife conflicts. And I got interested in what this whole issue of human-wildlife conflict, I'd never heard about it. Uh, before. My background, my academic uh, training is in community development. Um, when I worked for this agency and came into contact with the issues that communities living around wildlife protected areas face, I became interested in tourism, the link between tourism conservation and development. And that began my journey. But while I was at that uh, same organization, I had the opportunity. It, it is interesting how the universe can, um, um, uh, what do I say, can collude. The universe can collude to show you purpose. And so while I was there, the universe colluded in my favor to show me purpose. I had the opportunity to be part of a team that organized the first ever ecotourism conference in Africa. Um, this uh, uh, came uh, very close after the Rio, the Act Conference, 
in Rio in 1992, and I think the tourism industry was grappling with the whole idea of how will tourism engage with sustainable development. And those who recall uh, know that there is a very significant document called Agenda 21 for Sustainable Travel. That is, that is one of the first uh, things that I read soon after I was part of this conference. Now, when I organized, involved in organizing the conference, I had a chance to meet some luminaries in ecotourism. At that time, ecotourism was the buzzword. Everybody was talking ecotourism, which about uh, uh, travel to natural areas that uh, protect the environment and benefit uh, the community. It was, it was more about the traveler and not the uh, businesses in tourism. So I interacted with luminaries of ecotourism. Some of them became my mentors and have held my hand until today. I'm grateful to people like um, uh, Costas Chris, who introduced me later on to the whole concept of sustainability assessment and included me in the sustainability work for more than uh, 10 years and continued to introduce me to many places. So that's why I always say when you go to a conference, uh, make sure you live with a network. The networks are important. So those networks um, opened my eyes. The, the, the first encounters with communities protesting tourism and conservation, meeting so many interesting luminaries in, in ecotourism by being involved in organizing uh, this, uh, this conference. When I was organizing this conference, um, I, was, I was in between uh, having my my first son and uh, it was sometimes it was challenging it was tiring but i i just was interested i wanted to know what is this thing called ecotourism i had all the title of ecotourism at the crossroads in africa and i was wondering what's this ecotourism why are they talking about a crossroads what does it mean now after this conference my eyes were wide open i saw the relationship between people in destinations, uh, between resource management, between the character of businesses and organizations that do tourism. And I always call it character. I started analyzing the character of businesses and organizations. I was working for an organization that was involved in conservation, that was using tourism to generate revenue. And I started questioning, well, in there, the character of the organization that I was working with. I started questioning the relationship that they had with the um, communities that were living around protected areas. And in hindsight, I reflected that I grew up in very close to a protected area, to a national park, a walking distance from a national park. But as a resident, um, I was never... I never thought that it was something for me. I always saw white van, white van, safari vans with white people going into the park. So as much as I lived next to the park, that was not my life. That was not my interest. I was so now I started making all the connections and I started seeing something wrong with the character of the organization that I worked for. Now, after that conference, because of my interest um, in, 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 in the speakers and I asked a lot of questions, 
I got an offer from uh, the, the main organizers. They told me, you sound so interested in this subject of ecotourism. You, you gave it your all at the conference. You asked all the questions. We would like to give you a chance to become a CEO of the Ecotourism Society of Kenya that we are just putting yeah. together and needs to come up. So I quickly jumped into becoming. <laughs> I, took, I took the opportunity without thinking twice because, like I say, I had begun to question. So my journey started by questioning tourism, questioning conservation questioning the character of organizations that are involved in tourism. And I continue to do that until today. The whole quest and the agenda for sustainability for me is to always question, are we doing the right thing? Are policies, are, is mm -hmm. government doing the right thing? Are companies doing the right thing? Are travelers doing the right thing? Are, are businesses doing the right thing? And by the right thing, I mean that what they are doing is beneficial for people in the areas where tourism happens, for people working within tourism itself. It's beneficial and, and responsible in terms of asset protection and manage the assets that tourism is dependent on, whether that is natural assets or it is created human created assets or it is cultural assets. Is it responsible um, uh, for those assets? So I have been on a journey of questioning with a view to getting it better. Because when we get it better, um, and that has been my thinking from the beginning, if we get it better, if communities are happy, they will be responsible for the assets. Governments will not have to spend a lot of money protecting national parks and wildlife because the communities will begin to respect what they have. Travelers mm. will appreciate the places that they visit if we get it better of course businesses mm. will thrive and this is why a few years later uh, in the uh, uh, mid 2015 i started talking about uh, uh, i love the terminology i was not the creator of it but i found the terminology very interesting thriveability that thriveability is going beyond profitability and thriveability means that everybody in the chain is happy Communities are happy, nature is happy, business people are happy, governments are happy, places are thriving, everyone is thriving. So it's about moving from just being profitable to a thriving industry that is all inclusive. Mm -hmm. Sorry for my long introduction of my journey. Mm, I love it. And I've met you a few times since the Airbnb event, and I never knew how it all uh, started, where all that passion, <laughs> that passion stemmed from. You, you spoke about questioning everything. I follow the Sustainable Traveling Tourism Agenda page uh, on Twitter and LinkedIn. And that's also what I noticed. All the content they publish leads to a question, prompting us to think twice about what is happening around us. And I would like us to focus a bit more on STTA because I receive a lot of requests about it, especially travelers, bloggers, uh, influencers who want to travel more responsibly and I know your organization SGA provides various types of training um, trainings and certifications for instance can you please tell us more okay so SGA is an organization that I founded in 2013 
when I founded it in 2015, I was running it as an individual. I was a sole proprietor, but I converted it into a company, a limited company in 2016. Now, SCTA um, uh, is about equipping, enabling and empowering. Equipping uh, industry with the right uh, skills, knowledge, information that they require to make those right choices that I'm talking about and make the industry better to move towards uh, thrivability. It's about enabling where we can. When we enable, we now go into, you know, we can, you can get equipped with the knowledge, but you're not enabled. When we go into our coaching, we are now enabling businesses because now we go, one, you have now the knowledge, now we want to use it. Then you are enabled now. So we go into, we have a coaching program for businesses, a sustainability coaching program that um, uh, uh, is an uh, uh, eight-part eight program that enables uh, businesses to get what we call a sustainability passport. A sustainability passport means that um, you are not only aware of sustainability, but it is now at the core and it weaves into everything that we do which means we start by looking at your vision at your mission we start by looking at your internal structures at your staff engagements uh, initiatives we look at your supply chain management we look at your communication how you communicate we look at how you package what packages you're selling the choices that you have to make so it is a whole program of of, of being enabled completely to be a sustainable uh, uh, company. And then we move into the place where we call empowerment. And now empowerment is the place where we talk about uh, 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 the right partnerships um, uh, for you, uh, continuous learning programs that are, so you're equipped, you're enabled, and then you are totally empowered to be that, that, that champion, that, that business that has uh, you don't even have to speak the word sustainable. People will interact with you. They will look at mm -hmm. your communication and say, that company is a sustainable company. That is now what we call a truly empowered company. You don't have to mention the word sustainability. Yet, whether it's your business partners, whether it's your consumers, everybody will know that you are a truly uh, sustainable company. So we exist to equip, enable and empower. Um, a tourism organization uh, in the private and in the public um, a sector to move and grow towards sustainability and build thriving businesses that are anchored on values. So we, we, we emphasize a lot on values. We know that in the beginning, the whole sustainability agenda was about greening the industry. So there was a lot about operational efficiency you know, um, or let's mm. save on water, let's save on energy, let's manage our waste. We call that operational efficiency. And for us now, that is a basic. That is almost a, a standard that every business should, should be doing. And so we're mm. saying today that sustainability recognizes operational efficiency, but it goes beyond operational efficiency to now look at value-based business. Value-based businesses are businesses that are responsive to other social and environmental issues and human relation issues that we have today. They are sensitive 
to issues of um, uh, equal pay for equal work, for example. They are uh, sensitive to issues of uh, decent work engagement, for example, that uh, they are not misusing labor through um, um, mm. uh, uh, casual labor contracts or non-labor contracts. We're talking about um, uh, businesses that are responsive to climate change, that they care about their carbon footprint in whatever they do, that even if you're a hotel, you care about your carbon footprint right up to the food that you offer, right up to the type of entertainment that you offer, the kind of uh, furnishing that you have in your place. So we are talking about value-based businesses that are responsive to human values. Because today we have very definitive human values through the Sustainable Development Goals. And you cannot claim to be a sustainable business or operator or company or organization if you are not responsive to all these issues, if you don't care about them. And, and, and sometimes people tell me, companies tell me, but Judy, we have, a, we have a responsibility to make money for our shareholders. And, I, yes. and, and, and so I say to them, but so who has a responsibility to the society that enables you to make money for your shareholders? Go ask your shareholders. Mm -hmm. There's one profound statement that um, the late Professor Wangari Mathai, a Nobel uh, Prize laureate, said. She said that um, she was passionate about forests and tree planting. And, and sometimes people used to ask, what's it got to do, what, what's all this? got to do with um, human development what's planting trees got to do with human development and 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 uh, she said two things one thing she says uh, you don't need a college degree to plant a tree and to understand that a tree is important yeah because even the person who has not been to a school when they're out in the fields and they're taking care of their castle when it's hot on a hot day they look for a tree mm -hmm. to sit under Yes. Even the wild animals find tree sheds when it is too hot. So he said, if animals understand that trees are important, I don't need you to be schooled to understand that trees are important. <laughs> yeah? yes. Then she said another significant thing. She said that um, this same question about people caring so much for money and businesses thinking that uh, if we get rid of... Uh, plastic and close down companies that make plastic we will have lost jobs and there will be no money and we cannot live we can live without plastic we lived without plastic in the past and so she said you know after you have cut uh, the last tree yeah mm -hmm. and the last river has dried then you will know that you cannot eat your money yes so when people tell me, oh, our shareholders uh, uh, care for money, we have to make money for our shareholders. We can't address the 17 SDGs. We will not be making money. And so I ask them, ask your shareholders, what about the society that enables them to make the money? If mm -hmm. they're not here, if their quality of life um, um, uh, is affected by the same things that you produce today, where will they make their money from? And if they have made their money, they should know that if we perish as humanity, we perish together. And COVID has taught us that.
COVID today yes. has opened our eyes that uh, yeah, he did not spare anybody with money. Yeah? So when we perish as humanity, we will <laughs> perish together. Okay? So, so, so I, 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 keep, I keep preaching the gospel and telling businesses, you can be a responsive business to human value. You need those human beings, you need that environment for your business to thrive. So if you are being told that, you know what, in a little while the world will be water scarce if we do not do the right thing. In a little while it will be too warm for us and some, some viruses and bacteria that we had managed through science will begin to reemerge. It will affect all of us. So all of us have a responsibility to these human values that we so much need to thrive together as humanity. So this is the message that uh, STTA sends out to businesses. And so because of that, we have many packages for different groups in the tourism industry, like I said. We have um, training programs that uh, are general, that just introduce you to the foundations of this concept. Anyone can register for it. Thanks God to COVID, we now offer them online. So anybody from any part, there are some positive things that happened with COVID, yeah. Now you can access them from any part of the world. We announce them periodically. They are available on our, on our website. I have mentioned uh, the coaching programs. We have booster mm -hmm. program for uh, tourism trade associations. You know, trade associations are very powerful in the tourism industry. Um, they are links between industry and government because they represent uh, 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 businesses. They can become so powerful that they can actually be cartels. <laughs> they can become okay. they can become cartels and become barriers and start putting barriers for new entrants, especially when they are captured with a few powerful mm -hmm. um, uh, wealthy businesses. So we have, uh, we, uh, sometimes uh, trade associations have not been our friends because we have, we have told them that they also have a responsibility beyond protecting uh, some of their businesses. Their job is not to protect uh, their mm -hmm. members. Their job is to open up the industry for as many entrants as possible to thrive. Because uh, most of the trade associations you find in Africa are, are as old as the industry. And so there are those pioneer companies that are members. But we have seen in the last uh, 15 or 10 years an emergence of a lot of uh, SMEs that are run by indigenous people in these countries that are running small businesses in tourism, but find barriers to joining this kind of trade associations. In Kenya, these small businesses had to form their own association because they could not be accepted into the existing traditional association. Why? Because they run a business model and some of these associations are not so open. So now we are having a program for trade associations, not just to talk about sustainability, but to also make them understand that they, they are organizations that are meant to build an industry that is resilient in itself by supporting all members, all cadre of operators. It is not, it is not, it is not fair what some of them are, are doing. Remember, I talked about businesses with character that are anchored yes. on values. And equity is one of those values. 
inclusion is one of those values. But some of these uh, uh, associations have become cartels and they have built barriers and they don't want new entrants. But I'm grateful that many countries are opening up for these businesses. I think South Africa is a very good example of how to integrate uh, small, medium businesses in tourism because I believe they have an association uh, for them and, and it is, they're, well, they're well taken care of. In a lot of yes. other countries, they struggle. Yeah, They struggle to join the mainstream um, uh, association. And these associations, because of the traditional roles of engaging government for economic incentives, have not taken account of other things. So sustainability is not an agenda in many of these associations. And their members are struggling on their own, going out and becoming, looking out for opportunities for certification. But the associations have been um, not very proactive in promoting sustainability. So we have what we call a booster program for trade associations, how they can start um, uh, rethinking tourism differently, integrating small businesses, including sustainability as some of the charter for membership and you know you can do you can have very very basic things just by telling your members like in 2021 if you're renewing your membership for the association we want you to make a tourism climate declaration as part of your wow. renewal we just want you to add onto the documentation you're sending us that you have made a, a declaration for climate emergency as a business and you have told us one or two things that you will do and so as an association if you collect that together you can collectively say that our association has these uh, 10 different agendas coming out of our members which we are able to measure at the end of the year we can say that our members did this towards climate emergency so this is what we call the booster program. It is very simple. And like I said from the beginning, our approaches are very practical. And I'm talking to you now and you, you, you can actually say, yes, this, this makes sense. This is not theory. Companies can actually make this um, uh, kind of uh, declaration. And apart from the industry uh, uh, programs that are the uh, empowerment programs that I've, I've talked about through training and, and coaching, we also have a young people's uh, mentorship program working with students in university mentoring them building their critical thinking so that when they become professionals in the industry these things will not be new to them they will continue this path of questioning so the young change makers agenda is about empowering the youth to question if anybody follows our discussions with the young change makers, like, like Vanessa, you have noticed, there is always a question. There's always a statement and a question. A statement and a question. We are teaching them to question things so that they can do it mm -hmm. right. So when they enter the marketplace, they will not take everything. Even when they are young officers and assistant managers, they can bring something to the table. When something is introduced in their company, they can say, but what about these three things? So we are, we are teaching young people to question so that we can have a thriving industry. And we've had this program running since um, 2017. We launched it during the International Year of uh, Sustainable Tourism for Development. We looked at all the things that had been listed out for countries to respond to. 
in 2017 and we noticed that most of them were going to be activities for 2017 and they were going to be activities for World Tourism Day and it would end. And we wanted a legacy program that would outlive 2017 mm -hmm. and World Tourism Day and would continue. So this is our legacy program for 2017 International Year of Sustainable Tourism for Development. Today, if you ask many countries, many countries had celebrations, UNWTO members, they had celebrations for the International Year of Sustainable Tourism. But if you ask them, what, was the, what is their legacy program from that year? I don't know how many countries have a legacy program. Yeah. And this is sometimes my frustration. This is sometimes my frustration in my communication that uh, um, uh, sometimes we are more activity-based industry. When it comes to sustainability, we pay lip service to it. We want it to be an activity-based thing. It is not like an activity-based thing. It is the DNA of the business. It is the DNA of the industry. It should be things that are long-lasting, that continuously, over the years, have made a difference. Between 2017 and 2021, 20, uh, we have reached more than 3,500 students. Now, we have seen many of them become sustainability champions in their own way. They have used this to identify themselves. Now, this is for us, it was not about an activity. So anytime we have this uh, global, national, international year of anything, we must go beyond activities. I don't want to point mm -hmm. fingers and talk beyond that. But, yeah. <laughs> yes, we, we don't do things because they are nice things to do. We do things because they're the right things. I know it's a lot of information to unpack at once. Uh, so guys, for more info, please visit stta.kenya.org. And from the platform, you can see the programs Judy was talking about, the projects the organization is involved in and more. And Judy, when you mentioned the chart uh, that can be put in place as an example, I remember the chart that, that uh, Satsa introduced a few years ago for us here in Southern Africa. And it was a chart about unfair practices which I knew nothing about. Uh, my company was like a year old. I was still trying to grow, but um, I, I knew I had to take a stand and tell my customers, Kemarut is not going to promote these activities anymore. Um, it's scary, especially if you are a company that is still growing or one that has been relying on some of these activities to, to survive, you know. But I mean, you might feel like, whoa, I, I need to take the whole company down and start over. But it's not always like that. You know, I, I feel like we need to get educated about what sustainability is, what building a responsible brand is, and, you know, try to take those small steps that can help us make our brands and our industry better. I think uh, things are going the right direction. More and, and more people are becoming aware of the need to live and operate in a more sustainable way. However, I read an article last week where someone was calling it a buzzword. And I remember that earlier you were talking about how ecotourism a decade ago was a buzzword as well. And to some extent, this could also be happening with sustainability. Some people don't really understand what it is about, but are just using it 
um, because it's the in thing right now. Please, Judy, can you help us understand what is sustainability and what sustainable tourism is about? Let me let, let, let me define sustainability uh, not in the traditional way that you will find it, but I would want to define it in terms of its approach. And so when I look at sustainability in terms of its approach, and that is how we see it at SCTA, we say that sustainability is a quality management system. Then it's not a bad word. It's a quality management system. It's not something that you add on to the things that you're doing. It is a mm. quality management system that captures and covers all the areas of your operations as an organization. At STTA, we have looked at uh, what we call seven core areas of sustainability that make it a quality management system. And they start with, uh, uh, we look at your sustainability starts with your governance model, your governance and management systems. When we talk about governance, we start asking, are you doing business ethically? Are you registered appropriately? Hmm. Are you paying your taxes? Are you making your returns uh, uh, properly? Do you have systems in your organization? Basic things like, uh, do you have a vision statement? Do you have a mission statement? How is it articulated? How was it developed in the first place? Is it an inclusive process? Are there opportunities for its review? Is it incorporated in your businesses? Do you have um, an induction, a proper induction program for all employees that they understand these values and who you are right from the beginning? Mm -hmm. So it's a quality management system because it enables you to make sure that everything about your governance and management is done properly. And as we ask those questions around, do you have a governance system? Do you, I mean, do you have a mission statement? Are you properly doing business ethically and all that? When we ask those questions, we are including elements of uh, values, human values in them, you know, respect for the environment, respect for systems, respect for policies, respect. That is what covers all your governance. Then we come down to your internal environment and your internal environment is made out of your employees. And we start asking the same things I was mentioning earlier on. Is there decent work? Is it a decent work environment where everybody knows, people come to work and they know that I have a contract and my contract is for five years. It's not an environment where the founder or the owner walks in with somebody and says today this is a new employee the other staff don't even know how they were employed and where they came from and what they are what they are um, uh, doing and suddenly they're taking a bit of anybody work and other people don't know whether they have a contract or not it is it is it is based on the owners thinking that you i will increase i will i will i will i will give you another one year or i will not or you are constantly using casual labor so that you can have cheap labor in your company so we look at your internal environment then we start looking at your external environment which is your stakeholders in the tourism industry do you understand them have you done a stakeholder mapping do you know what they mm -hmm. mean for your business what is your relationship with them 
What are the things that they should know about you? What do they know about you at the moment? Yeah. What should they know about you? What would you like them to know about you? So they, your own stakeholder, external environment of your stakeholder analysis and your, uh, your, your mapping using your materiality analysis to understand who is your most important stakeholder, what are your risk points with your stakeholders. All these things are elements of sustainability mm. because sustainability is about building business resilience and that resilience that you build must also add value to everyone that you interact mm. with. Then we look at your supply chain. How you do business in this industry? Who's in your supply chain? How do you even vet them? Who do you know where they come from? Is there, is there modern day slavery in your supply chain without you knowing? <laughs> How do you even understand? Do you have some background check? Do you have tools to analyze your supply chain and all this uh, kind of thing? Then we look at your environmental practices. What do they look like? What does your environment practices uh, uh, look like? What do you care for right at your operating uh, levels? What do you care for at the office uh, level? Have you done your um, uh, environmental mapping at your office level so that you know that even where you operate from, um, uh, for example, at, at, uh, we would like uh, people, instead of having glasses that you are washing uh, every day at the office if every staff just had a bottle and they came and filled it up and when they go yeah. home, they go with it <laughs> right no so there are little things and those are what things that we call environmental uh, 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 operational efficiencies at the workplace yeah how do you even mm -hmm. control the waste uh, generation at office level because some people think ah but i'm a small store company what can i do about uh, uh, operational efficiencies yeah you can do something about operational efficiencies. If you just have lighting in your office, you can decide that even if I am hiring space and the general bulbing system is that they are not using energy saving, I can request the management. Mm -hmm. If I can if I can change this to LED lights, we, 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 we cannot give, you know, in this life, we cannot give what we don't have. You're going to have it so that you can give it. Even if it is values, mm -hmm. you cannot you cannot extend values that you do not have. And sometimes it is not in doing the big things. It is in the acknowledgement that there is something you can do about it. Just acknowledging. Uh, and again, allow me to refer to, to uh, my all-time Heron, Heron Professor Wangari Masai. And, and, and she has this concept about my little thing. We can all do our little thing about the good values of this life. We can all make a little contribution. So what is your little thing? So when we come to your uh, uh, internal operating environment, your environmental considerations, basically what we're asking is, what is your little thing? What are you doing about the environment? What is your contribution? Vanessa, you've just given a good example. You've just said that your eyes were opened to the fact that uh, there are certain uh, products that were, you are offering, but now yes. you found them unethical because you yes. realized that there was an abuse for those animals. So that is your little thing. At that particular time, I have stopped. I don't offer this anymore. So everybody, mm -hmm. like you said, has a, uh, an opportunity 
then and our i think uh, the sixth one is what we call fair trade right and our seven core areas of uh, of sustainability so in environment you've got all your climate and all the stuff life on land life in the water and managing your waste you know all the plastic movement and all this kind of stuff then we've got fair trade fair trade how do you how do you do business as a company and particularly when we talk about fair trade we know that uh, there are tourism companies that manipulate small suppliers they respect big suppliers they manipulate small suppliers they manipulate small suppliers they don't want to give them anything definite because they're like okay you're just a small supplier yet they know that they need them and so we say do you practice fair trade Fair trade in the sense that if you're offering a certain commission to a big supplier, would you offer it to a small supplier? That mm -hmm. is fair trade. And somebody would argue and say that, um, no, I will offer commission depending on how I have uh, done business with a company or not. But there has to be certain underlying principles mm -hmm. that you have. And are those principles understood and shared? by all your suppliers so that they know that mm -hmm. I have, when we negotiate commissions, these are the principles that guide how we do it. And you apply it equally so that you do fair trade. When you, when you go to communities and send your visitors to communities, you don't tell them. I hear this a lot because I take uh, 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 sometimes uh, those... Um, it's not the witness safaris. It's not. It's, it's where I am a client, but I'm not a client. I'm actually doing assessment. <laughs> yeah. So I'm an undercover assessor, right? So I hear the briefing. <laughs> I hear briefings being made, and they're saying, "Oh, we are now going to take you on a community tour. When we take you on that community tour, you will find communities. You can buy from the communities." But know that they will always charge you more. So haggle as much as you can and pay the lowest price. How can you even brief your clients like that? It, for me, the first thing is that you remember my second point was that your third point was about your stakeholder analysis and relationships with your stakeholders, yes. which means you don't value this community as part of your stakeholders. You don't value them because if you really want them, mm. them to get a fair price, you would have sat with them, you would have talked to them so that by the time you're sending your visitors, you know that they will be charged a fair price. And it is not about briefing them that go and haggle about the prices and pay the lowest price uh, possible. Mm. So there are a lot of elements to fair trade and this is part of the values that I talked about. Yeah. So the, the, these seven uh, uh, core areas of sustainability are what we call quality management systems. They are holistic and being holistic makes them quality. And why do we say they're quality? Because they future-proof your business. They future-proof your business. And there's no quality. There's nothing that you should call quality if it's not future-proofing your business. Mm. These seven core areas and the practices under them, which we offer under our trainings and coaching programs, future-proof your business. So sustainability is a future-proofing model for businesses. It is not a buzzword. Thank you, Judy. 
Before we jump to the next question, I would like to clarify something I saw on one of your biographies. It was talking about community-based tourism and community conservation. I found it interesting because most of the time when we talk about conservation, we see the plants, the fauna, the endangered species that we need to preserve. So what does community conservation entail? I think uh, uh, community conservation is having um, uh, communities on the agenda behind and the narrative behind conservation. So that the whole, you remember at the beginning, I said that I grew up uh, in, a in the boundaries of a national park, oblivious yes. that this, yes. uh, that this uh, assets are actually held by the state on my behalf that this wildlife is a national heritage that i too mm. had the right to enjoy this wildlife it was not held in trust by the state for somebody else to come and uh, uh, enjoy it or have experiences whereas i was excluded from it in very many different uh, ways now the whole concept of community based uh, community conservation in Kenya and I believe in many African countries has a story of colonialism behind it because uh, the creation of national parks and I will use the example of Kenya the formation of many national parks in Kenya were done during the colonial administration now this land used to be community land especially for the pastoralist communities in Kenya Many of our national parks are found in the savannas. The savannas are inhabited by pastoral communities. And so they used to roam from place to place in, in search of pasture. And they owned large tracts of land communally without boundaries. When, they, when the national parks were, were created, they were removed from this land and it was now fenced off or it now had boundaries where it was not fenced off and uh, now you had um, boots and guns on the ground to keep communities away through rangers rangers who are trained to keep people away now the, the communities were almost categorized in the same group as poachers who had to be kept away with boots and guns now, this resulted in a very uh, hostile relationship between communities and conservation. Now, these communities narrate how they lived, the reason that wildlife was found on that land for them to be set aside as national parks is because they had coexisted with wildlife. They knew how to coexist with wildlife and they gave wildlife its space. But when parks were created, they were removed from wildlife, which means they were told that you don't understand conservation. And that is why I have a problem with uh, all these uh, 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 some, some NGO programs that talk about teaching communities that have lived with wildlife conservation. Mm -hmm. Mm. We can't teach them conservation. We can integrate them in wildlife management because they had been custodians of wildlife before the mm. parks were created. Yes. 
So what we should be doing is finding systems of integrating them into wildlife conservation and not teaching them, having uh, conservation education programs for them. No, they don't need it. <laughs> they need to be allowed back into what they used to do. And a model for allowing them back is what we call community conservation today. How do we allow back and give communities space again to be part of the conservation agenda in the countries where they have been engaged with it and they were removed because of um, the models of protected areas that were created? So in Kenya, the last uh, more than 20 years or so 25 has been a journey of reintegrating communities back into conservation and it's been uh, it's been a long journey but the last the last 10 years or 15 so the breakthroughs that brought communities back into wildlife conservation and now we have an act we have a very progressive wildlife management and conservation act of 2013 that recognizes uh, communities in conservation and for that reason they can also set up set aside their own land and that land can be recognized and wildlife conservation has been recognized as a land use. You know, wildlife conservation was a protection system for the state, but today it is recognized as a land use, which means communities have been integrated back into conservation. So community conservation is about the whole idea of integrating communities back into wildlife conservation. Mm. And that this is the, the level we all wish to attain and we should be, you know, we should keep working towards. Thank you, Judy. Now, going back to our main topic, I'd like to ask you, what should Africa's priority be when it comes to making our tourism industry more sustainable? Thank you. Uh, uh, I, I think this is, the, this is the question on the minds of most Africans government uh, today. We have just finished our Sustainable Tourism Africa Conference 2029-1 and we were basically talking about what should Africa do to build resilience in tourism today and what would Africa be prioritizing in this case. And it is, it is, it is very clear that the future of Africa's uh, tourism is in building a market for Africans. Today, the African tourism product has not been built for the African market. Um, and, and, and this has got to do with the, the history of Africa's tourism. If Kenya's uh, example is anything to go by, we know where our main source markets are. Our source markets are from the people that um, the colonizers, the UK, Today we have broken into the U.S. market and of course there are other markets that are growing in their base. But traditionally our source market has remained uh, the U.K. for a long time. Why? Because of the, the, the traditional colonial ties. Also, the first uh, 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 tourism that happened in this region was about safari hunting. So they were hunting safaris and Africans were not hunters. The tourism was founded on hunting safari. And who were the hunters? It was the same uh, colonialists who had left, who now came back as safari hunters. 
So what happened is that they were the first ones also to set up uh, uh, tourism and tourism camps in Kenya. When Kenya banned uh, um, uh, hunting, they ended up setting safari camps and now started doing the conventional safari tourism. Now come, come shoot with your cameras and not your guns. Those were the early slogans for, uh, for, for tourism. So we have had a tourism that has, is built for an, an, an external non-African market. It probably is different for South Africans because also of their history. Uh, maybe the South Africans were able to travel locally for a long time because of all the barriers to travel during the apartheid regime. Maybe that built an, an internal strong domestic market. So our tourism in Africa is anchored on many histories of this destination. And most of them have not encouraged uh, Africans to travel within um, uh, Africa. We have just had from the summit that we just finished that right from our pricing models to our pricing language. For example, why why is it not possible for a Kenyan tour operator to quote their travel in rand mm -hmm. for the South African market mm -hmm. in Kwacha yeah. for another African country in African currencies in this destination? Why do we have yeah. to still today quote our, our 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 packages in dollars? Yes. We are creating barriers from uh, the tourism communication language. It's locking out Africans from traveling. Now, if we want to build a resilient market that reaches out to the African, the rising African middle class, that is ripe for Africa's tourism, that will make our tourism less seasonal, that will make our tourism an all year round activity, that will make our tourism more robust depending on an emerging and a growing middle class and a youthful population that is more than 60% of, of, the, of the population of the continent, then we have to change many things. We have to rethink the product. We have to rethink the communication, how we communicate uh, 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 tourism and how we, how we write our tourism um, packages. We have to rethink, and if we have to rethink that, we have to deal with a very important and emerging uh, group of entrepreneurs in Africa, young tourism entrepreneurs who fall in the bracket of medium, small and micro enterprise. They yes. are the ones that are driving travel in Africa for Africa. Today in Kenya, you can find a tourism package in Kiswahili which your convention, your old tourism operators will not do. It will actually wow. use the, the street language of Kiswahili to reach out wow. to young Kenyans to travel. And so you go on Twitter and you go on Facebook and find Kiswahili, you know. Yeah? Like, like you will find a lot of the use of the language Twende, which is let's go, right? And, and, and so it has become an important part of redefining and building a strong tourism industry.
So I'm just mentioning some of the most important things that were mentioned. Of course, we have the perennial pro uh, problem of, of, of boundaries and barriers to travel across boundaries in Africa. This is an issue that is addressed in every tourism conference in Africa, but it is taking too slow to resolve. First, it is important, it, it is expensive to travel from one African country to another. And then some, some borders, uh, uh, I had uh, uh, somebody from Ghana say that sometimes they have to go to Europe to go to another African country. How ridiculous is this? So we cannot, uh, uh, policymakers in Africa cannot be sitting down and talking about um, building an African brand and, and, and talking about uh, 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 safeguarding tourism in Africa and going on and on about how tourism is important for the GDP of many countries and fail to address this little thing like opening our borders. Like opening our borders. We have, we have um, different economic blocks in Africa, but they are cocoons between themselves. So you've got this, uh, the West Africa and you've got the East Africa. But travel between the East African and the West African is very complicated. Yeah. Why? <laughs> it's a joke. It's so yeah. complicated. Yeah, you, you've said it right. We're a joke when it comes to this. And then we want to grow tourism. And our thinking about growing tourism is looking outside Africa. And ignoring the market and the opportunities that we have in Africa. Africa has a diverse uh, uh, product portfolio, very rich, authentic experiences, both for Africans mm. and non-Africans to explore across different um, borders. We have not even scratched the surface when it comes to cultural tourism in Africa and building it into a product. It has been trivialized today because of the way it has been offered. Yes. We have a great opportunity to build tourism and benefit uh, uh, host communities through cultural tourism today. The big things that we, we chase, uh, the future of us is, is not running around into international trade fairs and doing uh, those things are so yesterday. We have to look to go to sites in Tanzania go to Indaba in South Africa, go to something in West Africa, and build intra-Africa travel. This is where the future yeah. is, Vanessa. You are giving me goosebumps because I feel like, oh my gosh, <laughs> what have I been doing? I feel like, where should I start? Like, uh, you are giving me goosebumps because I realize how much there's still to do. Thank, you. thank I'll just say thank you, Judy. And I, I, I think anyone who will be listening to this, especially what you just said, will, will agree with me. There's there's so much more to do. We have, I have a friend who usually says, uh, we have a continent to build. So, yes. no, yes. thank you. Thank you for this. Thank you for, for shaking things up. Just just like what you said just now. <laughs> so, I can't let um, the conversation the conversation end without mentioning the Africa Tourism Leadership Awards, which is one of the accolades that changed my career two years ago. We were talking earlier 
about a turning point in your life. In ATLF, it was a turning point in mine as well. As a co-chair of the award, when you look at the, the caliber of entrepreneurs and companies and destinations that compete for recognition yearly, are you satisfied so far? And, and what can, can we improve as well? Mm. Mm. I think uh, uh, there is a lot of um, initiatives and very good initiatives that are happening with Africa's uh, tourism. The challenge we have when it comes to the awards, I am satisfied with the entrance. We could do better uh, with some of the areas and the entrance because uh, uh, the, the, the challenge that I see is that we have the same applicants coming back over and over again. Maybe uh, it's a challenge of reaching out. Maybe it's because um, uh, many don't know how to enter or they're afraid to enter. They feel like they're being judged. And uh, by not winning their award, I have been judged as failing. No, that is not what the award is all about. It's a competition. Everybody is good, but there has to be tears. You can always get better. Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, we have been talking at SCLF and thinking whether we can have um, programs that can support those who have applied and haven't won. How mm -hmm. can they be, 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 be supported so that it doesn't uh, become a situation of winner takes it all and the losers go home with uh, just by virtue of the fact that they had something to present and if it is viable, like I say, there has to be a winner. It doesn't mean the others are losers. Just that mm. there's different levels of, in which we do the evaluation. So how do we encourage this uh, other group to, to the ones who have made the attempt but did not win in the end? How do we build them? How do we support them? How can they be mentored? Can they be mentored so that they can come back again another time? and try and probably they end up uh, uh, being the winners. So the ATLF awards are, are started. I'm glad to hear that they have been a turning point for you and your career. That's, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's very inspiring uh, to hear. We would like to this to reach out to many more. We would like to see uh, many more come in, but also we would like to see a diversity of entries mm. as well so the onus is now with the awards to see how to support i uh, reach out to as many so that we have a diversity and for those who enter and do not win how are they supported and encouraged so that they don't give up on their dreams because especially for the youth um there are very interesting ideas they just need an opportunity to be mentored to keep um to carry on their, their dreams and probably directed or linked with the right uh, uh, partners and groups that can help them to grow yes. further. So yes, yes, we are committed to not just uh, uh, recognizing and giving awards at ATLF, but also mentoring and linking all these great initiatives so that we can, mm. like you said, the question you asked, it's part of building the resilient African tourism products and industry. Thank you, Judy. 
Uh, what is your final advice for today and tomorrow's travelers and tourism entrepreneurs? I usually ask this question with a focus on entrepreneurs, but today we are talking about sustainability and I'd like to include responsible travelers as well. For responsible travelers, um, you have the power because you have the money. You can choose where your money, where you want to spend your money. You can choose, you have the choice. So as a traveler, you wouldn't say you don't have the choice, you have the choice. Use this power to transform the world one journey at a time. If every of the billions of the travelers used the power of their choice to make the travel industry a better world, the transformation that we so crave in the industry to become more sustainable and contribute to thriving societies will happen in a very short time. If the traveler uses their choices, the power of choice, if they, if, if they exercise that power of choice, we can have amazing experiences with responsible companies. And if we make those choices, we will be sending a message to the industry that this is what we are looking for. And so it will not just be left to the Judy's and the Vanessa's and the STTA and this kind of uh, program <laughs> to talk about this. We will transfer the power to the consumers and the consumers are very powerful. Until now, the consumers in the tourism industry there's a, a group, a percentage that is using this power, but we need more travelers to use this power. The power of choosing the right company, the right product, the right experience. Again, just like I said that uh, uh, businesses must be value-based, I think even travelers, as travelers, we can be value-based. We can choose places that make us accountable for our travel without compromising the quality of our travel and the experiences that we are looking for. In fact, the, 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 the experiences that are offered uh, by responsible companies are transformative. You travel with them and you never, you're never the same again. You actually uh, transition from being a client to being almost a friend and a business partner. You, you, you become family, you belong, you build a bond. That's what they do to you. When you travel with the responsible companies, you build bonds and relationships because they enable you to have a holistic view of the places that you visit. And they provide immersive programs that allow you to know the places beyond the gloss that you see on brochures and on websites and everything else. You can actually go to the back end of the experience when you travel with a responsible company to understand the communities that you're going into. I've always said this and I love that travelers uh, also um, uh, embrace this, that when we visit places, they are not just destinations, they are homes of people. The places we call destinations, 
there are people who inhabit this place who make them possible for you to visit them and have interactions and experiences. Now, these people are very important for building a relationship with the destinations that you visit. So always ask to have a local experience. Always ask. Always ask to have a local experience. Uh, don't, don't, don't allow yourself to be locked into a place and be tagged and be driven around in exclusive vehicles and just taken to a tourist site and one tourist site and not have an interaction with the places that you visit. We are human beings. Humans are social beings. And it yes. is that part of being a social being that builds that relationship with the places that we mm. visit. So yes, there's something we can do as travelers. We have the choice. It's in our hands. And as entrepreneurs? As entrepreneurs, I would also say exactly the same thing. When you sell places, remember that what you're selling as destinations are homes. People call these places homes. The way we say it, you know, great places to visit must first and foremost be amazing places for host communities to live in. Mm -hmm. What is your contribution in making these places mm -hmm. amazing places for host communities to live in? Thanks so much, uh, Judy, for, for joining us. Oh, I'm curious to know as well, uh, as we are starting the second semester of the year, what's next for you and for STTA? Um, at STTA, we are continuously on a quest to share knowledge. Um, and so what's next for us is about uh, rebuilding our knowledge platforms. Um, right now, we are revamping our, our website. Uh, probably in another three weeks, we will have a completely new website uh, so that we can offer more to our website and it can become more easier to access the products and services uh, that uh, you want. More, more than that, we are looking at uh, other spaces uh, for engagement, you know. Every space that we engage in, we call it spaces. Whether we are talking about the Sustainable Tourism Africa Summit, we call it an engagement space. Whether it's a training, it's an engagement space. The Young Changemakers is an engagement space for them. So we are looking at additional engagement spaces that can open up for uh, the entire continent to interact on issues of um, sustainability in tourism. So yes, that, those are the next uh, uh, things that we are working on, working with at, um, at uh, STTA. And we hope that we can continue to inspire the industry uh, to move towards being a sustainable and responsible industry. Hmm. Thanks so much, Judy. I really hope we'll have you back uh, with us in the near future. This is, this was, a master I told you it's a master class for me so I really really enjoyed it thank you so much for your time thank you for having me <laughs> yeah and all the best in all that you do thank you Judy so that's it for today guys for more information about STTA please visit stta kenya.org 
and connect with them and Judy on Twitter. Like that's where I get all my updates, whether there's an event, um, whether there's uh, anything that's going on. So I think social media is the place to start. And of course, there's the website. In the meantime, don't forget to visit tourismentrepreneur.com, support the podcast and join our community. I'll see you next week.